So, after the last several weeks or several years, is there a difference? I'm not sure anymore. Naming and bringing the weight of the world and the pressures of this time of year into this space, as Sarah did so well with her visual elements in worship last week at retreat, and then hearing this scripture from James about the dangers of the tongue, my response is, For those that are hearing this message later via audio, I just crumbled to the floor, laying face down. I might have moaned a little bit. <clears throat> okay, and if everything going on in the world wasn't bad enough, James has to also single out teachers. What lectionary genius thought, you know what we should do? We should put this scripture about teachers being judged with greater strictness at the beginning of the school year. <laughs> That'll go over gangbusters. Yes, because the great pay and amazing appreciation our society has for education, not to mention the stress-free nature of the beginning of the school year, is exactly what educators need right now, right? For this reason and a few others, I think it might be helpful to clarify what this passage is not saying before we get to what it is saying, and then we'll consider what all this means for us today. When I'm as ready to just lay face down on the floor as do something meaningful or productive. So first, what James is not saying. Clearly, James doesn't have it out for teachers, at least not in the traditional sense that we consider them. No, James is essentially talking about anyone who is listened to seriously, who has an audience, and who has followers. In James's day, that was the role of religious teacher. And in some respects, that might be true today. But in many respects, that now applies to most of us. Sorry, real quick geek out on the history of communication to give us some context. In James' time, you could write down your words for a few people to read later, but talking like I am now in front of a group of people was probably better for getting your words to more people. In person, like this, that was it. The invention of the printing press meant that your ideas and words could get to many more people, and different voices than just the ones in power began to be heard, and it's how we Anabaptists got our start, being able to hear and see, not just read broadly, was the great transformative nature of film and radio and television last century. But in retrospect, it kind of doesn't hold a candle to the changes of our modern age, living in an era of digital communication and social media constantly all around us. It has changed societal dynamics, and in many cases, it has become the, a great leveler in the dissemination of communication in ways that humanity has never previously experienced. Now, certainly, it's also proven an excellent tool in repression and surveillance, but we can't cover everything in 15 minutes, people, so we'll just stick with this one problematic part. 
A voice can now be heard around the world whenever and however we want. We now have platforms to share whatever we want, from revolutionary concepts to stupid cat videos to milk crate challenge. And with these many different ways to communicate comes responsibility and oh, consequences. So all that to say, James has something to say here to all of us, not just the crazy, over-stressed-out teachers among us. The other thing that James is not saying is don't talk. This is not your grandmother saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. No, that's not James. That's not following Christ. It may be a better starting point than a lot of other alternatives, but not talking can, just, can be just as damning and dangerous as saying hurtful things. There are centuries of white complicity to back this up. There are two millennia of Christian complicity cozying up to power in all sorts of settings to back this up. So if James is not telling us to zip it, what is James saying? He is eloquently reminding us of the incredible power we hold in our ability to communicate. For all the thoughts in our head and all the works of our body that James was all for us doing, he recognized that none of it could hold a candle to the power of our tongue. With our words, we can change the world. With our voices, we can sing and praise our Creator together. Speaking out of God's love, we can bring healing and hope to a broken, hurting world. Look, James is showing us what he intends by the very act of sharing his message with us. Jesus, the disciples, so many of the saints that have come before us, speak to us. They share with us deep, important truths from across the millennia. We are humans, social creatures, created in the image of God, we are made to communicate with each other. But James is fully aware that there is also a very steep downside to this communication. And unfortunately, in many instances, these downsides are a lot easier than the lofty ways of communicating that we might aspire to. It's so much easier to destroy than to build up. That's true of one swing of a kindergartner's leg to a sister's two-hour sandcastle project or any oppressive force in history using any type of violence to subjugate people, or a withering comment posted online, or a poorly thought through angry text, or even just a well-placed, devastating word in a casual conversation that destroys trust, lessens friendships, and ripples through a community. John's metaphors of tongues being like ship rudders or wildfires is just as true today as in his time. If anything, it's all the easier to abuse communication now. And what makes it all the worse is that it's not just others, however you want to classify other, that fall for these insidious abuses of communication. Even the most well-intentioned among us, in other words, all of us, fall prey to half-truths and manipulation. We listen and look for things that make us feel good, 
make us feel right, make us feel just. Instead of listening or looking for hard truths or thinking of, talking about how uncomfortable truths make us feel or what they might mean for us. And if you don't believe me, look at every social media algorithm ever. We enter echo chambers that keep driving us into different groupings, different ideologies, different ways of being to the point that we can no longer communicate or even recognize those outside our smaller and smaller subgroups as children of God. Ron Johnson is a child of God. Tammy Baldwin is a child of God. Donald Trump is a child of God. Eco-activist Greta Thunberg is a child of God. Ted Cruz is a child of God. Joe Biden is a child of God. Every member of every military power on earth is a child of God. Every incarcerated person is a child of God. Every person in Milwaukee, even that guy in the Impala who passed you on the right and almost took out that lady at the bus stop, is a child of God. Every human who has ever walked the face of the earth is a child of God. With our tongues, we bless God and curse those made in God's likeness. It's just so easy to do. And so often they're asking for it. It's thoughts like this that make it really hard to stay off the floor. But hold on, I think there's a certain amount of reframing of this that may be helpful, certainly from many of our faith backgrounds. It's easy to hear this message as, and that's why you always have to control your tongue. It's easy for us to hear this message completely negative. We just need to tame and control our tongue. Language that comes out of many Christian faith traditions long caught up in maintaining social norms and organizational power over showing God's love or searching for truth. Certainly James is telling us to be wary of what or how we say things. But the bigger context of this is within sharing the peace of Christ and the love of God. When you remember that we are supposed to be speaking out of love, that does change things a bit, doesn't it? Now, in case you heard love and somehow thought that was going to make it easier, <laughs> of course not. Jesus didn't always say popular things. His message of love left no room for lies or half-truths. And so he told a rich guy that his love of money was keeping him from the kingdom of heaven. He told a bunch of religious leaders that their will was the opposite of God's. He told an angry mob that wanted to kill a woman that they should channel their feelings and energy towards looking at their own sins. He told one of his closest friends, the apostle Peter, that Peter wasn't going to be as good a friend as he thought he was. He publicly shared that he was the son of God, which got him killed by the state with the blessing of the religious leaders of his own faith background. Speaking the truth in love often isn't fun or easy. Fortunately, we're not asked to do it in such dramatic ways most days, or maybe even most lifetimes. But as followers of Christ, we are asked to do it. So we've covered what James isn't saying. We've considered what he's talking about. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for Milwaukee Mennonite? To speak the truth in love. 
I'm going to briefly share some thoughts on what that might mean, but I encourage you to keep asking yourself that question from time to time. Whenever or however you might be communicating with others, what does speaking in love look like right now, in this moment? Well, obviously it means we can't hate. Really easy to say, really hard to do. One idea that recently helped me grasp, get a grasp of how to maybe stop letting hate creep in was something I heard on a podcast with Richard Rohr. We need to recognize the inherent dignity for everyone and everything. It's a lot harder to speak evil against someone if you are actively recognizing their inherent dignity. It's maybe not enough on its own, but it's a good place to start. Some of my earliest experiences with this recognition of inherent dignity was as a young child in my home church community. There were so many elders that would take the time to greet me when I arrived to church, that would genuinely ask how I was, that would want to know what was going on in my life. Experiencing that recognition of inherent dignity as someone feeling small, or as someone with an unclear voice, or as someone who just feels out of place, can make such a difference. You can find this recognition in all sorts of situations. You can see it in helpful, respectful communication between a postal worker and an elderly individual with little English, in the language and actions of an in-home aide taking care of someone unable to care for themselves, in educators who make space and find respectful ways to enable learners who don't have tools or privilege. You can find it anywhere. You can find it everywhere. Wherever we are, whatever we do, we can recognize inherent dignity in those around us, and it will inevitably change our words and the way those words come out of our mouths. So we can recognize inherent dignity. We can also value and search for wisdom. We heard the passage from the wisdom of Solomon today. When it comes to wisdom, there is no degree to be obtained. There is no group to belong to. There is no age or race or class or any other human distinction that accompanies wisdom. It just is, right? Our world of sound bikes and quick dopamine fixes and insatiable thirst for power and pride is no room for wisdom, but you can find wisdom almost anywhere. It's really never popular, but it is available to anyone. Where do you find wisdom? Who are the wise voices you listen to? Who are the wise voices that we as a community listen to? I've thought and felt a lot about this in the past year and a half. A huge part of why I wanted to tackle the church documentation pro project and why I worked on the podcast last year and why I've periodically wanted to get feedback throughout this pandemic is in search of the great wells of wisdom we have among us. This time has taught me just how much I need your words and wisdom to sustain and inspire me. So we can recognize inherent wisdom, inherent dignity, we can value and search for wisdom, and then we can be open to the Spirit. 
I've spoken before on the space between people having the potential to be a holy space. Refusing to limit our love because we know that there are no bounds to God's love, but being open to what we might hear, what we might see, can help us create those holy spaces. And being open to the Spirit in these holy spaces will continually transform ourselves and others. It's why I'm excited that we are starting Christian education back up this fall. Being open to the Spirit leads to our spiritual formation, whatever age we are. Being open to the Spirit gives us the strength and understanding to speak into moments of discomfort, anxiety, anger, you name it. And this is the hard part for someone who gets stuck in their mind like me. We won't always say the right words or even achieve better outcomes. But that's still okay. I heard a sermon from MCUSA's convention this past summer in which a pastor shared that she could always tell when God was with her, when she was speaking out of love, and that it showed in her interactions with the people around her. I think that's wonderful. I think that's true. But I also want to caution that you can still do harm with what you perceive as the love of God on your lips. We are humans. And while we may be open to the Spirit, we will still fail. We will still mess up. James has made abundantly clear just how colossal and damaging that can be, especially by a voice that has gained trust. And I will admit that this danger has tempted me at times to just not engage. It feels safer, but it's not. We are called to try. We are called to speak truth in love. And if we try to communicate in this way, we will do much better on the whole ratio of helpful to harmful. The world will be better off. I've mentioned three things that we can do to help us speak out of love, but there are so many more profound, important aspects that I didn't cover here. How do we speak in love all the time, however we share? Certainly how we communicate in love is unique to each of us, but it's also something we need each other to do successfully. So young people, Listen up. We need your help. We need to hear your thoughts and see how you text or message or post or tweet. We need to see how you speak in love. Those of you who will just say have more life experience and can remember times when our world didn't communicate in the ways we do today. We need your thoughts on communicating in love. We all need examples and experiences outside of our own to help us understand how we can better, more faithfully, and truthfully share ourselves. So please, share your examples with me, with us, which brings me to a very happy thought. We don't have to do this alone. 
I've been going on about all the tough stuff about communicating in love, but there's a lot of easy stuff to appreciate, too. All the joy and love and grace and great things that are both said and others that have no wordings that come from being part of a trusting, loving community, a church family like Milwaukee Mennonite. I can't tell you how good it was for my soul last week to sit at that picnic table as worship began and watch so many from our church family walking down the path, path to join us, to sing with us, to worship with us, to be with us. So many faces that mean so much to me. And then having the opportunity to informally chat with so many of you, to reconnect, to listen, to share, to laugh, it was such a blessing. So much love, so much grace in the words and songs we share. That's what keeps me off the floor. That's what keeps me coming back every week. That's what keeps me trying to communicate, even when I know I don't have the right words or feel like I don't have the right thoughts. I know there is plenty of love and grace here for all my blunders and many more. I know there is wisdom everywhere I look. I know that you all are trying as well, each in your own way, not to just stay off the floor, but to think and do and say whatever you have to share, whatever you have to offer, whatever gift God has given you. Despite the pitfalls, despite the dangers, Despite those thoughts and things that make you feel like maybe it'd be easier or you'd be less vulnerable if you just didn't, it's worth showing up. It's worth engaging. It's worth listening. It's worth thinking. It's worth talking. It's worth texting. It's worth sharing. It's worth singing. It's worth praising. For we are all children of God. And God is love.